Hi, I'm Ulysses, and this is Music, Meaning, and Mystery, a podcast for the other musicians. This month's conversation is with Evan Amato. Evan's project is called Rewire the West. You can find his YouTube channel by that name, and you can go to rewirethewest.com. It's all about rediscovering the beauty of the Western classics of literature, art, and music. And of course, we focus mainly on the music part. Before we listen to the conversation, I want to remind you that you can still enter the giveaway for a few weeks. I am giving away Brian Eno's Reflections app. It's an app that generates ambient music infinitely with an atmosphere corresponding to the changing of the seasons. It's an approximately $30 US value. Enter the giveaway by sending an email to musicmeaningandmystery at gmail.com or use musicmeaningandmystery.com slash contact. Enter giveaway 2022 in the subject line and this will put your entry in the giveaway. I'll be drawing the winner soon and announcing the winner in next month's episode. Now for the conversation. What spurned you into reigniting your relationship to the Western corpus of art? Wow, that's a great question. I think at the, at the heart of it, what it really goes back to is just going to the basics, going back to the basics, going to the source, really. Ever since high school, I've always been interested in the idea of going to the source, which of course, that's not an original idea. It's something that's very good to do, and everyone should whenever you're looking into anything related to literature or music or studies in general. But basically, it happened actually in the realm of music, but with the Beatles. I was at a point in high school, maybe sophomore year or so, and you know, all these people were talking about the Beatles, professors referencing the Beatles. And I just realized, I said, I don't know the Beatles. I mean, of course, you know their songs, but I never listened to their catalog. And so what I did is I went out and bought the albums one by one and listened to them and had a really great experience getting to know the Beatles. And what that taught me, among other things, I mean, this wasn't the first instance that I had done something of going to the source, but it was just such a positive experience that it reinforced the idea for me of, look, when in doubt, stop reading about something and just read the thing. Stop listening to podcasts about music. Just listen to the music itself. And so really what that led me to do was to go through and, and try to tap into the greats. What, what I really love about exploring music and literature, I mean, again, you can, you can really get lost just reading about, oh, these are things that you really need to check out. These are things that you really need to, to read, to listen to. But at the end of the day, you just have to go and do it yourself. And so that's why... I really got into just going back to the greats, going back to the Western canon, both musically and in the realm of literature, and really just exploring it for myself. And so far, it's been a wonderful journey. Your perspective on classical music before you embarked on this journey and after, after what are some of the, the biggest changes, biggest transformations 
this journey hmm. has has put you under. It's interesting because I feel like I've ended up in the same place in a way, but just with many more layers of depth. So to to outline what I mean, before listening to classical music and going to the source, what I generally had was an idea that, okay, I have respect for classical music. I think it's a valid art form. I think it's probably more profound than the type of pop that, you know, I listen to in the day to day. And I also thought, well, I like classical music up to a certain point because a lot of what's coming out today is just so incredibly pretentious and it's really not beautiful. (laughs) And then now I find myself kind of in the same position, but just with more depth to that. I have on one hand, more distaste and disgust, if you can call it that, for a lot of the modern contemporary quote unquote classical music um, that's just completely aharmonious, almost atonal at times, that really doesn't inspire the soul. And I have a far more profound and deep respect for great classical music, great music that is is beautiful, it's inspiring, and it helps you transcend the day-to-day. So in a way, I'd say I've ended up in the same spot, but just with a much deeper appreciation for where I stand and a better understanding of why I, I feel the way I do. Can you explain for me, uh, who doesn't have a deep knowledge of classical music, um, you know, or even what you would you called the Western canon? Can you draw a boundary around uh, what is it about this these uh, specific composers, the specific artists that what what was their process? into, you know, being elected into a a canon? (laughs) Yes. Well, obviously, you know, I I don't think I need to lay this out. We're, you know, we're not talking about a a proper canon itself. No one is, is, there's no advisory committee choosing who's on it. So of course, at the edges, you're going to have blurred lines and, and people disagreeing who belongs where. But I think the biggest distinction that I would like to make in terms of what I call good classical music is that people writing in the Baroque period, the classical period and the romantic period, they came in that order. I can say confidently that the vast majority of those composers wrote with the goal of creating something beautiful. And I think that is what makes them stand out. That is what makes them stand out in my mind, at least, but I think it's what makes that music also endure. I think it's, it's the fact that they wrote to create something beautiful. And it's the same way with a lot of visual art today, where prior to, I don't know, the past 50 years or, or so, maybe even further, depending on what strains of thought you want to go and follow, art was made generally for the point of, of being beautiful. And a lot of what we have now is just art that's intended to provoke or to you know push a boundary, quote unquote. And that's, it's sole reason for existence again where i just go back to the classics is it was made to be beautiful so that's how i would that's how i would draw the boundary around that is there documentation on their motivation for creation creating music or or is that something that um we kind of are able to you know kind of extrapolate uh, being able to look through the lens of, of you know, a thousand year history or whatever. 
I mean, yeah, I think it's generally more on the side of, of looking back on and understanding how a culture thought at the time, more right. so than, than any individuals. There's always this, this pressure for composers to compose something that, A, gets them paid. And generally at the time, what would get what would make money is something that sounds good and is beautiful. So, so there's obviously that level, but there's also the deeper level, I think, of a, a broader societal belief in God and the divine that is also influencing the music that's being made. For, for some composers, that was a, a very conscious element that influenced the work. For others, it was more maybe in the background, maybe in a more deist way of looking at it. But, but the faith component, the belief in a higher being, definitely influenced their work in a way that you know, our, our overall secular culture today, it just doesn't have that same degree of influence. Has this uh, journey into classical music appreciation changed your relationship to to religion, to faith, to God? Wow, that's a fantastic question. Oh boy, I think uh, I really like that question. I, I do have to say that's a really good question. I think a lot of it has to do with perhaps sitting with the mystery of faith. I know in some church traditions, there's always something they'll say. They'll say, let us proclaim the mystery of faith and before reciting something further. And the mystery of faith is almost the, the mystery of being in a way. And, and with a lot of great music, you tap into that. You tap into something that's, that's beyond you. It's deeper. You're not necessarily sure why. And sometimes it's a, a joyful mystery. Sometimes it's a sorrowful mystery. Sometimes it's a, a glorious mystery. But it's all these mysteries that, that as you sit with the work and, and allow it to, to shape you. If you really sit down, for example, I always use this as an example because it's a work that really influenced me when I first kind of got into this idea of meditating with, with music was Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. And really just giving that piece of work the time and sitting down with it, you can be really dramatic like I was and, you know, light some candles and, and sit down and dim the lights and just put it on a good speaker and, and enjoy what's to come. And as you sit and just let your mind wander following the notes through the, the different waves of, of emotion and what it leads you to ponder, you're left pondering a mystery. And, and I guess all I can say in terms of how that has influenced my relationship with, with the divine is that it has, it has not only allowed me to be more comfortable with embracing the mystery of faith, the mystery that, that is inherent to any faith journey. We're, we're never going to know God fully. So it's not only made me more comfortable with doing that, but it's also allowed me to do it more frequently to, to find maybe more mysteries, if you want to put it that way, more areas of life that I can actually just appreciate the mystery and the, and the beauty inherent in it without trying to define it too much, allowing it to be that mystery and just sit with it. That's a pretty powerful effect on, on life, on the life experience that a piece of music can have then. Mm -hmm. So then let's talk about 
why that matters, why even do that. Hmm. Um, so we can kind of see music as a portal to a transcendent dimension, as the bridge between us and a divine realm. But why open that portal? Why go across that bridge at all? Does it has it changed your life? Yeah, I'm I'm going to respond to that question with an excerpt from one of the gospels. And it's it's where some disciples are speaking with Jesus. And to put it in context, it's basically Jesus asking, Hey, are you are you my followers? Are you gonna stick with me? And and they say, Lord, to who else would we go? Where else would we go? And that same aspect is how I approach something beautiful or the idea of beauty itself is how I, I approach that idea. It's, well, what else is there? Where else would you go? If you're not, if you're not going to be live a life where you're enthralled by beauty, what are you enthralled by? I can't imagine a life where that doesn't play a prominent role. And so people, again, there, there are contemporary movements in art to do away with the idea of beauty or that everything is, is purely subjective that it's all personal preference, but it's not true. Beauty helps you transcend the suffering of life that's inherent. We all suffer and beauty helps you get through it. And you, you see this in the most basic statues of, of heroic people. You don't even know, need to know who they are, but you see someone in a heroic gesture and a heroic pose and you feel inspired in a sense, at least I do. And I think that general concept applies to all iterations of beauty. And, and why would I want to look at a piece of art and not be moved by it? Or why would I want to look at a piece of art and just think, eh, as I think with a, a ton of the modern art, modern contemporary art, where nothing about it moves me to connect to something deeper. No part of it inspires me to to think more deeply about life and my role in it and so i suppose to to answer the question of why beauty why even begin to ponder these things i would say the same thing that the disciples did to who else do you go to what else do you go so your project's called rewire the west this is part of the reason why i invited you on my podcast i found in myself and in the guests a tendency to uh to beat on the West a little bit. Uh, I think we're dissatisfied with the direction things have gone as, as musicians. Monetizing music has become extraordinarily difficult. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's going to naturally cause uh, a tendency towards bitterness and, and, and frustration uh, because uh, musicians know that their work is valuable, but they're, they're told in uh, subtle and completely explicit ways that they're non-essential. Maybe some of that, that, uh, that pain is being directed at uh, the, the cultural kind of container we're in. Hmm. So to rewire the West is a bit more of an optimistic or productive uh, statement towards that problem, which I think you've outlined because you're talking about how the West's modern art is kind of lost its devotion to beauty Wh whichever one you think is best to explore or both like what what went wrong <laughs> you know where did the wires come off and yeah. um and how do we rewire this this thing 
That's a great question. I'll, I'll probably start with the, the latter half of that. The, the first part of that question is a far, it's a far more uh, expansive dive into history, but I can begin with the, the latter. How, how do we rewire this thing? In my mind, the term rewire the West has two ways of looking at it. One is rewire it in terms of the, rock, the wiring has gone wrong. We need to you know, rewire this thing. We, we need to almost redo it, not, not really tear it to the ground. You know, it's not an anarchist statement, but just, yeah, we, look, we're in a really bad situation. We need to rewire the thing. But it's also rewire as in rewire re-being again. So wire again, kind of almost a, a tapping into the, the roots that you came from. Like, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to redo this thing. And, you know, not, again, not in a new way, but just in a going back to basics sort of way. So the reason I chose that term and, and how I conceive of it with the two ideas of rewire, I suppose, is that in order to rewire the West, you have to include both elements of that. We need to be able to, to go back to some of the roots of our culture by understanding where we came from, by understanding that Western culture has tons and, and tons of beautiful aspects to its heritage that to just that, that men and women, entire generations labeled, labored over and toiled over to, to bring us to this point. Um, unprecedented prosperity and, and peace, relatively. Uh, again, I'm not saying that the West is a perfect place. It's not. It has tons of problems. But if you look at it's where it is in, in regards to the rest of human history, I mean, it's a really incredible experiment and a really incredible endeavor how we've gotten to, to where we are in, in the arts, politically, you know, stability-wise, economically. Um, again, not that it comes down to those things, or I don't want to just reduce it to that. But anyways, I'm beginning to ramble to basically sum it up and, and to point to what you know, does it mean to rewire. I think we need to reevaluate where we came from, re-examine the virtues that were embodied by generations that brought us here. I think that's a big part of what we're missing. And then, so that's kind of the redoing sort of way but then it's also a rewiring it's examining where we're at and what can we begin to do differently you know because because there are i think a lot of ideas that stem from the enlightenment that the enlightenment has lots of great aspects but it also has um some really bad aspects to it and part of that i think individualism is a is a good place to look because individualism on on one level is incredible like you're an individual, you're valued, you matter. That that's powerful, at least in my book. And it's 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 what you you make your justice system on. It's what you base meritocracy on. I mean that those aspects of individualism are are incredible, but it also comes. It, it's been heightened to an extreme now, where you have incredible societal breakdown, incredible breakdown of families. And in communities, friendships, in a way that just does not exist in the rest of the world. And I'm American, you're Canadian. So 
we live in, you know, we're North American. We are the pros at being individualist. <laughs> we are the most, the, the place that's most individualized, if I can say that, in the world. And I think it's something that we don't get perspective on. And, and it's something that someone can say, and you're like, okay, yeah, we're the most individualist you know, region in the, the entire world. But then you actually go and spend some time in those places and you start to go, oh, crap, like we're the most individualistic region in the world. Like that's not a good thing. Anyways, I, I hope this gets some way or other back to the point of, of how do you rewire? Well, I think we need to look at what we're currently doing wrong that we can improve and come up with new ways of doing that. But also we don't need to invent the wheel for everything. We can go back, look at what were the virtues? What were the disciplines that brought us to this point? What were the methods of thinking that brought us to this point? And how can we begin to live those out today? Your project is a little bit like a, like a school that uh, teaches individuals to heal their relationship to their culture. Is that fair? Well, what I say in the channel description and as kind of the moniker for the entire project in general is looking to the past to rediscover beauty, truth, and virtue in the modern world. Hmm. And so in that way, that's what I'm trying to share with people. I don't want to say, I personally prefer not to really use the term teach because I don't want to use that in the sense of, oh, I'm enlightened teaching you how to do it because I'm still on that journey. I'm, I'm on that yeah. journey with everyone else. But what I'm trying to do at least is to share what's what I'm learning uh, along that journey and what I've learned so far mm -hmm. and to look to the past to help rediscover beauty, truth, and virtue in the modern world. Mm -hmm. So it's like your personal pilgrimage and you're uh, publishing your travel log. Yeah, that's a yeah. great way of looking at it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've come to think of this podcast and my project as something like that as well. Hmm. Uh, a pilgrimage to the mystery of music specifically. I love that. So would you like to talk about some of your favorite pieces of music? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm happy to do that. Swan Lake, probably all-time favorite. I really love Swan Lake. It's a ballet by Tchaikovsky, and I cry. If I listen to the whole thing, I cry every time it gets to the finale. It's, oh, and there, I know the part too. There's this one part where oh, almost all the music cuts out, and it's just these, these violins, I suppose, going, and then you have this harp, and, that, and it, oh man, it's I'm even almost starting to tear up now. It's just so good, it's beautiful, and and Swan Lake's really fun too. You know, most people know kind of the more dramatic stuff, the but there are also tons of waltzes and in dances basically from when they're in the prince's palace and and it's fun so it's just swan lake i guess is one of my all-time favorites really tchaikovsky is probably my favorite composer um dvorak is another one who i love um and yes i say his name very anglicanized but i'll just stick with it um he's he's phenomenal czech composer and Symphony from the New World is probably perhaps my second favorite piece of, of music. 
but it's it's definitely so i say you know we were talking earlier about contemplating music and i love contemplating music symphony from the new world though makes you want to get on a horse and and go you know charge and siege a city i i don't know it's it's just inspirational whatever's going on you listen to that dun, 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 and it's it's moving it really is and so i've listened to it a couple times and you know a lot of the time i like to be in that really yeah like go get them mood um but other times again there are some beautiful aspects to it that um that you can you can sit with especially kind of in the the movements in the middle of the piece they're just they're beautiful honestly so Dvorak wrote it when he was in America he incorporated elements of traditional American music into the piece and so part of when we hear it we we tend to think of oh well this is him hearkening back to maybe his his Czech homeland and it's not entirely false but actually there's a lot of American influence surprisingly and it's just a beautiful work of art that if anyone wants to listen to, I can't recommend it enough. When you first started to want to understand the source, was were your reactions the same or were you a little bit lost and confused? Tell me about like your first, because I'm thinking uh, a lot of us don't really know this world of music. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of walk us through how, how you went from like first launching yourself in this, what it was like for you to finally having an appreciation for it. I think when you start out, what you have to do really is start with what's accessible, give it a listen, sit through it and just know that you're not going to get everything and that it's okay. <laughs> you, it's, it's just, you're doing it the first time you're trying to do something that's accessible and that's fine. And and then, you know, you give it a listen, you give it another listen, you slowly start to discover some other things. But then what you can do too, and what I do a ton is I just, I just look to people who are smarter than me, people who have actually spent their entire lives studying this thing and can break it down. In, in the world we live in today, there are so many great podcasts that you can listen to that podcasts or YouTube channels that explain these things really in depth. And if you want they're easily accessible and you can go find them and you can learn more about the music as you're listening to it. I don't think it's completely necessary, but it's something that I've always found to be really helpful, but I I don't try to do too much of that before listening to it. Honestly, I try to just give it a listen, sit with it. And then, and then I can go hear from someone else and then kind of revisit the piece. Um, I, I guess part of it is is just understanding that your ear develops with time and that there's no there's no shame in that i don't expect anyone to appreciate a really fine wine or a whiskey if if it's their first time drinking alcohol you know they're they're not going to be able to to have really the palate to to taste all of that and i actually did some stuff in the music industry more in a actually a, a pop realm um and I remember listening to production, like just keeping an ear out for the production of music and trying to get a finger on what are all the different tracks going on here. And when you first start to listen to it, you're like, all right, I can count five. But, but the reality is at, at any pop song, there's at least at least 100 tracks, if not 200. And 
And so as you develop, as you spend more time sitting with the music, you get a better ear. And that's something I did for four years um, pretty intensely. And so when I listen to contemporary pop production, I, I try to name all the different tracks and you know can probably list off 40 without an, an insane deal of difficulty. Um, and so basically the same thing has happened with classical music where it, it's listening to it and being like, okay, I don't get this. I get it. I get it in this very basic form, but I don't get all the details. And then you kind of sit with it more. You start to pick up more of those different layers of what's going on. Or if you want to use the food metaphor, you start to kind of pick up on the different, the different hints of flavor that are in there. And it's, it's really just sitting with it and, and, and having a guide to help you through it. I think that's important. It's, it's really important to have someone who you can turn to, to help point out the things that you didn't see before, give you some ideas to look at it in a different light. But ultimately it's just you sitting with it and, and getting to appreciate it and mull it over over time. Well, now people know where to find such a guide. It reminds me of Dante and his guide, right? Virgil. Yeah. Often Dante would turn to Virgil and say like, what the hell is going on here? Mm -hmm. And Virgil mm -hmm. would have to explain. And yeah, uh, it's like a journey, but it's, I, I find that um, really fascinating that the music, well, it's one of the musics of our culture would be so foreign to us right hmm. yeah yeah totally totally i love the dante analogy really it, <laughs> it is a perfect one i mean and this is this is arguably the greatest poet who has ever lived still putting himself in the work going virgil what's happening yeah. you know <laughs> turning to someone else asking what's asking what's going on and i think that's just always where we're at we have to ask others we have to open ourselves up and, and be willing to learn and but if we do that then we really start to get so much out of it yeah i've been thinking about how this this sort of endeavor would require some some humility right because you know perhaps as highly individualized people we've come to think of ourselves as self-sufficient uh self-contained yeah but really it, we do need the help of our ancestors completely and uh, of our ancestors without a doubt um, as anyone who I've ever spoken to this about knows very clearly, you know, on the channel or, or elsewhere, but also I, I want to say with our peers, I think it's really important. This is something that I got out of my time in the music industry where I was in a really good environment that stressed the importance and the value of collaboration. This is not, I don't know your own experience in the music industry, but this is not how a lot of other people operate, you know, in New York and LA, people can be brutal and it's all, Oh, well, this is, you know, my own thing and my own um, I'm not going to collaborate with anyone. You know, it's all completely 100% self-contained. But what I learned being in Nashville was, Hey man, if you want to collaborate, you're going to have a great piece of insight here. You know, I'm going to have a great piece of insight here and we can make a really good song. And that's why every single, I mean, look at any single pop song in the top 40. I'm not saying this is necessarily good music. I'm just saying to look at it and see who the songwriters are. And there are at least four or five. On, it, on every Justin Timberlake album, there's, there's five or six writers per song. And, and I think we love this 
idea of, oh, well, one person can do all this by themselves. And, you know, I want to be that one person. And sometimes it does happen. But I do think there's a level of humility where if you can just accept like, man, yeah, I like working with other people and I want to work with other people because they do these things better than I do. And if I can have implement them being good at what they're at and me being good at what I'm at, then it brings everyone up. It's it's a win-win. You know, Justin Timberlake's happy. He doesn't, his ego, I'm sure, isn't losing any sleep at night because he's like, oh, I didn't write this whole thing myself. He's like, man, I make good songs that people like. And if I do that all by myself or if I do it with six other people, it makes no difference to me. So all that to say, yes, we need to take from our ancestors, but also just being present to the opportunities in front of us to collaborate with our peers, I think is incredibly important. Yeah, that's the next step in my project Hmm. is to invoke the spirit of collaboration. Uh, I'm meeting all of these peers that are, you know, graciously coming as guests on this podcast. And Mm -hmm. they have, you know, everyone's an infinite pool of, of their own experience. And, uh, you know, it'd be nice to have some sort of consolidation of all, all this. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have no doubt it'll serve you well. I really think what you're doing is cool. I think that sitting down with all these people and, and getting to to ponder what they have to say and, and you dialoguing with that, I, that can only make you stronger. Whatever you do is going to be successful if you stick with that route. This podcast has a traditional closing question. Okay. And that's what should people listen to? What should people listen to music-wise? Whatever you think. <laughs> um, well, we're talking predominantly about music, so I'm going to guess that's in the realm of what should people listen to regarding music. I would say listen to music that's outside your comfort zone, but listen to the greats. I, I always say go back to the greats. People are great for a reason. Things are time-proven for a reason. It's why in between every piece of contemporary literature, I always have to go back and read a classic. Because the thing is, something doesn't stick around for hundreds of years if it's no good. Something will stick around for hundreds of years because it speaks to the truth of the human experience and because it resonates on deep archetypal levels with people. And I say that with literature. I say the same exact thing with music. Listen to the greats. And that can even be, I'm not even saying go back that far in some instances. Jazz, in some ways, was my gateway drug to classical music. If you go back and listen to the greats of jazz, you'll be moved. You might not like all their stuff, but you'll, you'll definitely you know, enjoy the time that you're spending with them. And I say go back and listen to some of the greats of, of classical music. Um, you know, give, these, give these artists a chance sit with their work, uh, allow them to explain why they're great. I don't think they even need to explain it. I mean, some pieces, to be fair, are not always as immediately as accessible. Maybe there, you do have a degree of personal preference, which maybe it's, hey, I'm, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Baroque, but, um, but I'll give Bach a shot anyways. And some people might walk away from you. Excuse me. Some people might walk away from it and say, okay, you know, I can understand that, but not the biggest fan. That's fine. But you can still appreciate it. And then I think still with with 
the vast majority of the greats, you can do more than just appreciate it. I think you'll end up being moved by it. I think if you really sit with it, again, just put on Moonlight Sonata. It's a name everyone already knows. Everyone already knows it. You'll, you'll probably recognize many parts of it when you listen to it, but I just don't know enough people who have sat down, again, dim the lights, light some candles if you want to, put on the fire, and just listen to that and, and let it move you. It's, it's beautiful. And, and you will not regret it. That's the thing about these, these works. You won't regret it. You're not going to waste time. You won't regret it. They're beautiful. There is indeed something about beauty that is undeniable, though unverifiable. It bypasses analysis, rationalization, debate, arguments. Beauty just is. One way to return to the source of beauty, Evans suggests, is to rediscover the beauty created by the greats of the Western classical music canon. I see a lot of love in Evans' project. I think there's more than enough cynicism towards our ancestors. Perhaps looking at their contribution in a loving way is a good counterbalance. All right then. That's it for this month. I'll see you in the next one.